0: But also, if you use the code SOUTHERN20, you get to save even more on this special pricing for right now at VortexOptics.com. Again, check out the new eyewear from VortexOptics.com and use the promo code SOUTHERN20 to save on their brand new eyewear. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help.
1: Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of the Southern Outdoorsman Podcast. Got a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, we want to talk about the MSU deer study as well as a couple of listener questions. The listener questions are down in the show notes if you want to look at the timestamps and get ahead to those. But first, we're going to talk about a bunch of other stuff, including Southern Outdoorsman merch. If you ordered an orange hat recently, which a bunch of you have, uh, we got a shipping notification today. We're recording this the day before this podcast drops, so uh, those hats should be on the way. Normally, shipping's pretty fast. Uh, hopefully we'll be able to get those out either Friday of this week or Monday of next week. So, uh, hopefully Monday at the latest, but early next week, for sure, those are going to be going out to people. So orange hats finally coming in, man. Yep. Um, pretty excited about that. Uh, Jacob, how are you doing?
0: I'm doing well, dude. Well, appreciate it. everybody's been purchasing some Southern Outdoors and merch because all the new hats have been selling extremely quickly. Uh, appreciate that support there. And also a lot of you guys has been, uh, purchasing some Southern Outdoors and merchandise I've been getting a little extra little Southern Outdoorsman decal in there, so we really appreciate that support. Arrow um, has been ordering a lot of stuff from us. We still have a few shirts left as well, and uh, we're going to get some more hats in, because a couple different styles sold out extremely quickly. A lot faster than we thought they yeah. would. Yeah, so. we've already
1: got more on the way. Yep. so, so it just depends on how long it takes them to get manufactured.
0: Yep, absolutely. So anyways, appreciate that support there. But this week, uh, we've got an interesting episode, because this is an episode we did with Corey Brown. Yep. Um, which turned out fantastic. We got some awesome feedback. We actually had a listener success story come in within two days <laughs> of the episode coming out.
1: Really? Today. Okay, I didn't see that.
0: Yeah, ha- had a listener success story come in, and actually, he didn't submit it. He just commented on the Facebook post about it. He went out and tried some things that Corey talked about and went and killed a buck. That's what I'm so, talking about. Did I'm he give like, any details? Um, it, part of it was, uh, I think he had mentioned, I, I sent the guy, Um, A link to the listener success story. I'm like, please submit it because I want to hear more about the story. But uh, it sounds like it was one of these spots that he was trying to wait for like the perfect win, and it just he wasn't going to get a perfect win for it. So he said, "Screw it, I'm just going to go hunt it." Yeah. Then went and sat in the right spot and was able to get an opportunity at that buck that he was trying to kill. Oh
1: wow, that's a that's that's actually going to also kind of play into one of our listener questions for today. Uh, So that that's a good that's going to be a good tie in. Mm -hmm. I was really excited about Corey's episode just because we we went into it where you know like we haven't interviewed a lot of guys from Oklahoma. Um, just cause you know, Oklahoma is a lot different, especially the, the further West you go in Oklahoma, it's a lot different than what we hunt here. So it's a little bit out of our comfort zone. And when, I'm going to be honest, when you scheduled this interview, I'm like, Oh, cool. You know, Oklahoma guy, like I'm interested in talking about it because Like you've said, there's something you can learn from everybody, even if he's hunting a different terrain. But the more we got to talk to him during the interview, the more I was like, wait a minute. like This kind of sounds a lot like hunting a streamside management zone or SMZ, like what we hunt here in Alabama and Georgia and Tennessee and all these different states that we hunt around the southeast. I'm like, the longer we got into that, interview the more i was like oh wait a minute and like my light bulb started going off a little bit so i was really excited to get into that and and hopefully apply it here and Mm -hmm. actually we recorded that episode and we're gonna save it i mean we recorded like three or four weeks out Mm -hmm. and we were gonna drop it in three or four weeks but i was like let's turn and burn this one because we're getting into early november there's definitely gonna be places in parts of the south that have that november rut yep And I'm like, I want people to be able to take advantage of this going into November. So we went ahead and put it out and uh, already got one listener success. So hopefully some more roll in. Uh, Which, by the way, the listener success stories have been freaking knocking it out of the park. Dude, y'all
0: have been hammering some studs. Some big deer. Some big deer. um, And the listener success stories are coming in literally almost every day. Yes. Okay? Has been incredible. So Um,
1: I've scheduled the posts on our social media to, to share. And I have a post, at least one, some of the days I have two scheduled, at least one dropping every single day for the next two and a half weeks. <laughs> I, I Like, seriously, it's crazy. That's awesome. And, and a bunch of hammers, too, man. Yeah. A bunch of good deer getting shot. So, yeah, if y'all, if y'all haven't seen that, you can uh, follow along with us on Facebook or Instagram. And we post our listener uh, success stories there, as well as on our website. Uh, so you can go and check out some of those that have been dropping here mm-hmm. lately. I mean, man, there's... Hey, there's one guy who, uh, in Georgia killed a freaking stud. I think I sent it to you. I mean like a big deer, like really big, nice deer. And he's wearing this hat actually, that chocolate chip hat. Oh really? Yeah. He's wearing it. And it's like a good, he just
0: just got the hat.
1: He 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 got like, it was right after we sent those hats out uh and he killed that deer and he's got a gripping grim of him (laughs) with that buck, with that Southern outdoorsman, like chocolate chip hat. Yeah. And, uh. And it's like a nice photo. It's like a, I don't know what he took it with. These phones are so good nowadays, but like, it looks like a DSLR photo. Yeah. And I'm like, dude, I love you because that is like, that looks so good with our hat in it. And I emailed him. I was like, what's your shipping address? And I'm like, we're going to send you some stuff. So yeah. other listeners, uh, and hey, this applies for the orange hats. If you send us a listener success story, where you are with your deer and you are wearing Southern Outdoorsman merch, whether it be a shirt or a hat, we'll send you a little freebies in the mail. So yeah. so do that. Uh, send them in, and if you, you're wearing some merch in the photo and we can use it, we will send you a little care package.
0: Absolutely. Yeah, that's awesome. Dude, oh, that's
1: exciting. So what what did yeah. you get out of Corey's episode? What do you think you're going to uh, apply from it? You know, As, as we kind of start, we're, we're getting into that time of year. Mm-hmm. It's about to be gun season. Uh, and for these next couple months, it's like, really, it's really going to kind of go off the chains for us. We're going to be hunting a lot. So what, what are, how are you going to apply it?
0: I mean, the, the thing about one thing that Corey said that I, I'll be honest, I didn't even, I still don't 100% comprehend other than like the swirling wind aspect is the w- reason why he does it during the rut specifically, like to get down those thermal hubs or a bunch of these creek or or these draws are coming together um he kind of says he kind of stays back out of those spots and kind of picks one or two drainages that he'd like to sit on um which i thought was a little bit different because i would think you know that would be the time i'd want to get in one of those spots because you have the most you know point of travel into one specific area yeah but i, I think I, I look back at also like where are we going to be hunting this year that potentially we're going to have a bunch of smz's to hunt on there's mm-hmm. a couple of places but it's not like I don't think it's a huge focus for us this year mm-hmm. in some of those areas, especially with like newer clear cuts. But one big takeaway I had was it kind of goes back to Mason Brook out in Georgia, talking about like the observation sits and everything. Yeah. Of kind of, you know, implementing more of that if you have one of these places, a piece of whether it's public land, a hunting club, a mm-hmm. lease, whatever you're in private form and doing a really good observation sit where you can see over a lot of that clear cut and, and see the head of some of those drainages coming up Yeah. and those draws, those SMZs and try to get visual on how the deer are actually using it. Cause I think they're going to use it a little bit different every place, depending on how the topography, how water sets up, how the cover sets up and everything else. Um, but I think definitely, you know, maybe trying to do a little bit more of those observation sits would be extremely handy, you know, do an observation sit. Like he said, be real aggressive. Once you see a buck do a certain thing, make a move on them, whether it's the same, you know, that afternoon, uh, the next day, whatever, and try to capitalize on it quickly. Yeah. Uh, which is when, when he brought that up, because I know you ask, because you asked him that, like, you're like, you know, once you do an observation sit, you know, how how many times can you see him? We're like, you know, when would you oh, yeah, move? Oh, yeah, because you disagreed nah, nah, on that. I on it. And, and I was right, and he, and he was like, he's like, dude, I'm going right in there. He's like, I, I see him do it one time. He's like, I ain't waiting for him. And I'm like, oh, okay. Yep. Like, you and Andrew, I'm like, okay, yeah, cool. Yep. Awesome. Yep. Um, But, yeah, I, I was like, I'm like, oh, yeah. I'm like, I know Andrew feels great right now. Yes, yes.
1: <laughs> feels good to be right. Feels good to be right. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I mean, I, I got kind of the same stuff out of it, it made me think of, we got a clear cut on our club that I'm kind of wondering about doing an observation, actually we got a couple on our club that, yeah, you do. Yeah. that I'm interested in maybe doing an observation sit on now, <laughs> especially because one of know, them sets up so good for it. Oh yeah, uh, I already know which one you're talking about too. Uh because I mean, it would be pretty easy for me to get out there, even if I've got one hour before dark, and just shoot up a tree or get on a some kind of hilltop where mm-hmm. I've got an advantage. Because we do have the benefit of having a lot of hills mm-hmm. where we're at, uh, so I can I don't even necessarily in some of these spots have to get in a tree. I can just sit on the ground, kind of like what Corey does, mm-hmm. and just glass into a, over a wide area and see what they're doing. And that would be a pretty wise use of my time because going back to why. One of the reasons I originally joined the club mm-hmm. is because it's five minutes up the road. And so I can go out there a lot and kind of keep tabs on what's going on. And it actually goes all the way back to the episode we did on chasing tracks mm-hmm. with uh, Lee?
0: Uh, Travis Lee.
1: Travis Lee. Yeah, Travis Lee, yep. uh, where I can go out there when it gets close to the rut, and I can just cruise the roads and find where bucks are chasing does via the tracks, We'll find that episode number real quick. But now that the observation set thing is something else I can incorporate into the tactic for the club in particular. Uh, so, yeah, I'm really excited about that. What episode was that?
0: That's uh, episode 432, Targeting Chasing Tracks for Big Bucks with Travis Lee. That's a really good episode, guys, to listen to, especially as you're getting closer towards the rut here. Um, because Travis, just like in Andrew's situation, he's got a couple different leases and like hunting clubs that he's in, like pretty close to the house. And he'll ride out there during the week before work and and just check logging roads like drive logging roads or walk logging roads Mm -hmm. looking for chasing tracks with chasing tracks Andrew what would a chasing track be
1: a chasing track would be like where you where you found a bunch of big splayed out tracks where deer were chasing and running each other so the track is going to be like kind of like this if you're watching on the video like make a peace sign with your fingers uh the the hoof is going to be real splayed out a lot of times you'll see the dew claws. Uh, long stride length, so a long stride between the tracks, and hopefully you find you know, a set of little tracks and a set of really big tracks. Yeah. They're both doing that and that's where a big buck is chasing a doe.
0: And even better when you find them, because this goes back to a buck you killed on some public land back in 2019, I think. Mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, where I went into that area and I found chasing tracks mm-hmm. on a logging road that ran through this pine thicket and you were able to go in there on the edge of the pine thicket next to an SMZ yep. and capitalizing and killing a, a really nice buck coming through there, um, you know, kind of in within 150 yards of where that chasing tracks were at the day before. Yeah. And another thing about chasing tracks is like, Especially if it's on a, on a roadbed. it's not like they always run up and down the road or across the road. Sometimes, like in that situation, you could see it was like probably two bucks chasing a doe, and they were they were like as Travis calls cutting tracks, or like yeah. those deer are like making like a ninety degree turn really quickly, so those tracks are like pushed in and they're like spun a little bit, yeah. and it's like you'll you'll be like looking at the track. He's, like, going in one direction, and all of a sudden, that track, like, looks real weird and twisted, and the next thing you know, his track's going, you know, 90 degrees to the left or mm-hmm. right. Where he um,
1: planted that foot and turn. Yeah,
0: because the doe's trying to lose him, and he's trying to, like, corral that doe. He's trying to juke
1: him out. Yeah. You know?
0: So, uh, but, yeah, Travis talks about that in the episode again, mm-hmm. uh, 432. Uh, so yeah, definitely that's a great episode. That episode.
1: Yeah, it's a really good episode. So, yeah, that's something definitely to pay attention to. But, uh, but yeah, dude, I'm excited. Uh, speaking of the hunting club, uh, I actually went out there the other day, and for some reason, there, I just – I, there's been a complete lack of buck sign on that place i mean yeah. i'll find a rub every <laughs> once in a while yeah. but like you've you've walked a good ways out there now too yeah. like dude you just don't find any freaking buck sign no that's weird
0: like rubs in like high quality habitat areas no buck sign i don't understand it There,
1: the bucks are there but i went out the other day just on a quick you know afternoon hunt mm-hmm. and i found the buck sign found a good rub line going right up to where I think these these bucks are going to be coming out of mm-hmm. and sure enough rubs coming right out of it not whip rubs either like good big solid rubs yep. thrash trees broken limbs uh really really impressive looking stuff so um now I'm I'm going to try to get some more cameras in there and perhaps you know perhaps try to do some observation sits in mm-hmm. that area uh just to just to you know try to get some eyes on something mm-hmm. uh, there's there's a couple of different open areas without giving away too much um, where i can go and i can see a pretty long ways and uh maybe get a bean on a deer uh kind of crossing through there and with with uh let's see it's november 1st on the day we're recording this so we're about to go to arkansas and basically once we get back from arkansas it's game time yeah. uh it's it's gun season so I got my gun spots ready. I'm I'm really excited about that place out there. But that brings me to an interesting discussion about, like, how these deer are betting on the club and, and trying to figure out where they're spending most of their time. That brings us to the Mississippi State Deer Study mm-hmm. that they just they just put out some stuff. Uh, do you want to go over it? Because you, you saw it before I did, and you shared it, and it kind of blew up.
0: Yeah, so they looked at – and I don't remember – exactly how many bucks they had in the one image i think it was just one deer. was that it was, just one yeah deer? it's one deer and it was 39 different bedding locations so it deer. was the
1: month of november
0: yep so, so for the month of november so they tracked a bunch of different bucks and this is an area they talked about where it doesn't rut until they was talking about uh later december into january in this specific location yes so this so, is very much pre-rut pre-rut or really like not still, even pre-rut i mean still kind of like early season yeah. Um. And Which kind of says, like, your club does, and a lot of Alabama sets up. Yeah, we rut at the same time. A lot of, like, the state will rut into December, going into January. Um. And this buck used 39 different beds in the month of November. Yes. Uh, which is just, I mean, insane to think about. Now, the only caveat to it is they never mentioned how old that buck was.
1: Well, they did say it was an adult buck. So I'm three I'm, years or older, probably. Yeah, three and a half or older is yeah. what I would take that as. Uh, so they did mention that in the post. I saw people talk about that in the comments. Um, so on the YouTube video, we're going to have the map actually put up on our YouTube video. So if you're an audio listener and, and you maybe haven't seen this map yet, you can go over to our YouTube channel and jump to this part and you'll see the map because we're going to put it up. And they did a satellite view and then they ended up everyone was like, where's what, what about the topo? And so then they posted a topo view at the same time and when you're looking at this map all of the the red dots and red little red circles are the beds the bedding locations and then all the white dots are just his location where he was pinged uh, at whatever, like I think it was a fifteen minute interval or something mm-hmm. like that, similar to the Auburn uh, stuff that the Auburn GPS data that we ended up looking at on mm-hmm. our Patreon a few years ago, which Patreon members I reshared that onto Patreon, so it's back at the top of the feed, so it's easy for you to find. Uh, you can go check that out on our Patreon right now, where we do a video breakdown of a couple different bucks on uh, in Alabama with some GPS studies. But, anyways. So they, they marked down all these different specific beds and I saw all kinds of people, you know, everyone's kind of putting their opinion in the comment section, a lot of interesting stuff. Uh, Looking at the satellite image right now, I'm just curious, Jacob, what, does does anything jump out at you?
0: Well, a lot of it is like, they're bedded. He's bedded very close to like access points, like little roadways or cut throughs going through. And a lot of them are on the edges of different like habitat breaks, um, you know, it's like some of these like bedded right up here against the field, these fields, like in the north um, east corner. Mm-hmm. To me it's kind of interesting. I wish they posted one of just an aerial imagery. Which one of the listeners found this spot and posted in the comments. (laughs) But, like, you really need to look at it on aerial imagery and not just with all the pins on there because with all these different pins and all these markers, I mean, he uses some areas so much, it's hard to tell what the habitat edges look like right there. Yeah, that's true. Um, And then also, it seemed like on the topo uh, map version of it that he was bedded a lot of times in these little drainages and in these little low spots.
1: Yeah, we'll get to the topo. What about the satellite, though? Anything else about, you know, what about just the, just the, how the pins are laid out. Is there anything that like jumps out at you?
0: Yeah. The crazy thing is they're like completely separate. It's like two different sections of the property. He's not using the center of this property much, which the center of the property still looks pretty good, but for whatever reason, he's like sticking to specifically the Eastern and Western sides of this, of this property. Um, but what about you, Andrew? I mean, what are some of the things that you pick up on it? Um, Like
1: he, I mean, he's definitely clustered up in certain locations. And this is one of the things that I saw people commenting on. They were saying like, yeah, he's not, he's obviously not using the same bed, but he's still, there's like clusters of beds. So that would be like your bedding area. And I would agree with that. I think, I mean, I think that's what we've been saying for a couple of years now. Like we tried the whole bed hunting thing and. And different people have different opinions on it, but like for the Deep South specifically, I just don't think that that's true. And stuff like this just kind of drives me further in that direction. Yeah, you know, like yeah, sure, there's clusters of pins here, but he's clearly using like a like a, a certain section of pine. It's like a couple acres. You know, he's not he's not necessarily narrowed down to one bed. But even that, dude. I mean, these beds are kind of all over the place. Uh, you know, he's like you said, he's on two different sides of the property. But also, it's not like they're all just stacked right on top of each other. I mean, there's like pretty good distance between most of these pins.
0: Now, now, another interesting factor about this image is I wish it would have the time and dates or at least the dates of when these pins are dropped because there's only one set of pins that go east to west between these two different sections that he used a whole bunch, yep, which makes me think he was over in one section for a large majority of the time, and then one day he crossed and stayed in this other side for a large majority of the time. Yeah,
1: that is what it looks like, because there's just like a little breadcrumb trail going between the two, like where he got pinged there a couple times, and I'd be curious if that was like, one day, where he just kind of slowly made his way through?
0: And see, that almost looks like there's a drainage that runs right there that he was kind of paralleling. Like, it looks like there's a low spot right there, which I'd have to see what it looks like on the topo. But you have this drainage that comes out of those fields, and it kind of looks like it kind of runs east to west, that he was probably paralleling like a drainage going over further to the east side of the property.
1: Yeah. Uh. Let's see. So this is... Now we're looking at the topo. Yes, you're right. He... You see where he actually went up and over a ridge. He crossed over a ridge, and then went up through a thermal hub to get to that other side.
0: But yeah, I mean, kind of falling, kind of going up one drainage, one ditch, up to the top of the ridge, and then drop back over, going through another big bottom, and then up another draw, up into this next ridge system. Yeah, or um, or vice versa. Yeah, because we
1: don't know which one he went he was at at first, and then went yeah. went to. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah, anyways, so. I found that super interesting. Really, really cool from MSU Deer Lab to put that out. It's just great food for thought.
0: I'll tell you another thing that's kind of interesting is the – during the time frame of when he was on the western side of the property and the eastern side of the property, truly, like, how small of acreage he's using. Because yeah. like you don't really have a – you don't have a scale on here of, like how, like, how many acres we're looking at. Yeah. But, like, this stuff that's over on the east side of the property um, – does not look like a very large area that he was using at all. No, I mean just looking at it, it looks like maybe it's twenty acres, maybe, um, you know, in the, in a, that general area, and then on more of the western side of the property, it's probably. I mean, just kind of getting a, a ballpark here, looking at these mode trails, it's probably like 40, thirty to 30, 30 to fifty acres he was using mm-hmm. on that side. Yeah, so it's not like he's roaming a huge, huge amount of property, which is something that I think we've had other people talk about especially like in this more like rolling hill country uh like kind of a big wood setting like what we have in the southeast like yeah there's fields here but it's not like ag fields it looks like it's a lot like just pasture land and everything it's like these deer really don't have to cover an absolute ton of ground um Mm -hmm. to find food or you know water all that kind of stuff they have so much good resources in one area they don't have to travel a whole bunch
1: yeah for sure uh now looking at the topo maps um which again we'll put these up uh on our youtube video so people can go see them uh, but the topo map's kind of the same. So this actually really reminds me of what we saw when we did our own look at Auburn's data and, and put that out, like, in a video. Um, he's using a, a lot of draws. Uh, I mean, he, he's kind of all over the map. I mean, there's, like, there's not, not really one thing that I feel like he's really avoiding. Uh, he's, he's on the very top of ridges, like on the spine. He's all the way in the bottoms. He's on the points. He's in the draws talking about beds uh he kind of beds all over the place i mean it doesn't seem like there's to me it doesn't seem like there's one single terrain feature that he's just like Mm. really gravitating towards uh it's more like he's bedding in proximity to maybe some terrain features but like there's nothing like it's not like he's like oh he's bedding on ridge points no i mean he's bedding in draws he's bedding in the bottoms he's bedding on top he's bedding on the ridge points too but that's not like he's not sucked into those ridge points no Uh, Does anything, like, jump out at you?
0: Well, one thing that jumps out is just, like, the huge cluster pins in this general area, uh, which is, again, we're looking at the, the western side of this property on the topo map, is there's, like, one, two, three points that come out. And, again, this is, like, looking at these topo maps, this is very gentle rolling hills. This is not, like, really steep stuff at all. But just for whatever reason, how he's just sucking in to this general area a lot more than everywhere else. Um, and then also just how many, how much time he spent, especially like in this real big, there's a hub right here on the North side of this little Ridge system that he's spending a ton of time down in. Um, but even like the next Ridge point to the South of him, he's spending a lot of time on that Ridge point and around the tip of that Ridge point, And then even up on the flat on the next Ridge point further South of him. Yeah. So it's like, you know, that whole area for whatever reason, I wonder if there actually is a pond there. Uh, it shows that again, per that topo map that there's water or something right there yeah you can't
1: Um, you can't tell on the aerial
0: but um anyway it's just it's very very interesting but it kind of goes back to like just the overall randomness of some of these deer in the southeast um because you're in an area again there's so there's typically so much browse for a deer like the deer don't just eat acorns okay they don't just eat mass crops they don't just eat your corn piles and everything else they eat a lot of browse yeah, especially in the southeast, we have so much variety in browse, and it lasts so late into the season because we don't typically have very harsh winters to kill off a lot of stuff. Um, that there's so much food that they don't have to travel a whole bunch in order to go find high quality food sources. So, like, I feel like that's another reason why it's so sporadic and random with some of their movement patterns. And instead of like you know going A to B, because it'd be interesting to see data like this coming from ag country, like farm country, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how much like. You know, is there more variability on bedding locations there, but also is there more or less variability on their movement patterns of to and from like a destination food source?
1: Yeah, and also I'll say, uh, from a bedding perspective, I I don't see any real discernible pattern in his beds whatsoever on this map. No, like I said, he's kind of all over the place. I do see a discernible pattern with his other pins. So his his non bedding pins, if you if you like zoom in on that topo map, and you look at just his regular pings, which are, again, the white pins on here, mm-hmm. he's very clustered in a lot of areas. And to me, that's like feed trees or something, mm-hmm. some kind of food source that he's probably spending a lot of time at. Yeah, So that's really interesting. And, of course, a lot of the beds are in really close proximity to those stacks of, of white pens. Uh, in some cases, the bed's right on top of them, where it's obvious he's bedding either under some kind of oak tree or around some other kind of food source, and he's probably just getting up and and walking around. And around. Now, we don't know that for sure. I'm just kind of guessing about that cuz there's no dates applied to these. But when you're just looking at like where everything is at, I don't know. I think that's that's pretty interesting. And one of my <laughs> one, one thing when they put out the uh the topo map view, uh it seems like he's really there's like this main creek drainage. It's like Mulberry Creek, I think it says on the topo map. And he's like really favoring the western side of that topo map. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, that hillside, and a lot of people were like, "Oh, uh, it's because of a, a predominant west wind. Like that's why it's been." I'm like, "You don't freaking know that." That's what I'm talking about. This is that's my pet peeve about about the the whole buck bedding thing. And this is where I think people like walk themselves in circles or think mm-hmm. themselves in circles about it. Is like you're make, you're completely guessing if whether or not that's like a west wind. And so now you're going to decide in your mind that oh he's using that because it's a west wind, and you're going to go apply that. And, like, maybe you find a deer, you know, you walk yourself into a deer that that applies to, but I think using that as, like, a blanket statement, I mean, you don't know. Around here, our predominant winds are a lot of times from the east. Like, if you look at a, a wind rose mm-hmm. of a lot of areas that we hunt, we have a lot of southeast winds. I mean, that is kind of our predominant wind uh, throughout a lot of months here in Alabama, at least. I'm I'm sure Mississippi's probably similar. So, I don't know. That's just my two cents about it. I think that he's probably favoring that side more. Because maybe there's better feed over there.
0: Well, look, go back to the aerial imagery, because all this right here is fields. So...
1: Oh, excellent point. Yeah, it's... it's excellent it's this point. wide
0: open. I mean, some of it looks like hayfields. Some of it, maybe, I doubt it's, there's no CRP, but I bet you it's just like open hayfields and like uh, cattle pasture right here. Yeah. And if I... And it, it looks like a lot of the timber is probably the same on both sides. Because my thing is like... What what blows me away is just how much he uses this western side, but he doesn't use the center of the property like at all. Yeah, at all. And there's food plots. You can see there's food plots all in the center of the property.
1: No dots in the food plots. No, no dots. <laughs> at least at all. on that side of the property, there yeah. are a couple dots in the food plots near where he normally hangs around. But excellent. Yeah. So that brings back that uh, that's an excellent point. I'm glad you pointed that out. Because uh, like if you look at that topo map, you see that he's just heavily favoring that side of the creek, and you're like, oh. Again, going back to people, like I saw people in the comment section, they were like, oh, it's a, it's because of this wind, like he's getting over there so he can be on the leeward side. It's like, well, probably not, because if you look at the aerial image, the other side of that creek is open fields. Mm-hmm. And so that's probably why he's selecting that side. It doesn't have anything to do with the wind, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, so interesting, very interesting stuff for sure. Um, yeah, and also on the other topo map, it's kind of the same thing. Check out this line of pins right here like what is that Hold on
0: hold on hold on Hold on He's paralleling See I wish you could see better aerial imagery of what he's paralleling right there cuz yeah. there's a fi- there's a field but it almost looks like there's like maybe there's like taller grass right here on the south side of that big field in the northeast corner of this aerial imagery. Again, guys, go to the YouTube channel, watch this, you'll get a better understanding. What Man, we're talking that's about. fascinating, actually. But like his pins are absolutely in, in a straight line. They're, they're in a complete straight line. His daylight pins or like his movement pins per se, um, not just day... Not, probably a lot of this is nighttime. But like there's one section right here, which definitely Andrew, you need to highlight this in the YouTube video. Yeah. That is, I mean, I. Can't count, You can't even count all the pins because they are stacked on top of each other. And it is a straight line going back and forth. And based off this key down here, it's showing a mile uh, 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 key down the bottom. Just yeah. kind of example. And that, that line's probably – Eighth of a mile? Maybe. Like it's it's probably a 200-yard stretch that yep. he's just working back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. Um, and he's kind of bedding sporadically around it. And it actually shows he's got a couple beds in that field which does not make a ton of sense Well like, it does? looks
1: like well there's a field right there, but it looks like half the field is kind of left fallow yeah so that, so that could be it. I think that's probably what it is is maybe he's working like he's, around in that field or he's,
0: and he's working that tree line yeah on the south side of that field in that kind of overgrown again, a lot of people call it CRP, sometimes I call it super, but this is a fallow field. Is a field that's let go. It's not CRP because it's not planted, like in a um,
1: native blend.
0: Yeah, in their in that program, but uh, but that is super interesting. But then you look at this. So if we go back to the topo, so let's look at this again. So go back to the topo and see if there's any other examples. Like see, like right here. So mm-hmm. if you look just uh, southwest of the, that northeast kind of uh, quadrant. Uh, where he's kind of working east to west. He's got another line that's running north to south that's, again, maybe a a couple hundred yards max that he's just working a ton right there for whatever reason. And he's not on, like, any kind of specific train feature. He's not like he's on a a significant drainage or anything like that. See, it's all right here. Kind of going back and forth, up and down right here.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to find this area (laughs) on Google Earth because I want to look at it. But
0: this kind of goes back to, like, some of these studies. I wish they would do studies like this where, like, after they got this data... Uh, especially like when it like the month afterwards. Okay, so like you take this information for November, December first, you send a crew of people out there to these spots, and you see how does the buck sign correlate with where he was using it. Oh, that'd be cool. And I know every buck's gonna be a little bit different. They're all gonna lay sound a little bit different, but it'd be very fascinating, especially these areas where he's running like a straight line going back and forth. If you find scrape scrape lines there, if you find rub lines there, find anything else like that. And kind of correlate the buck sign based off like how he was using it, yeah. and then publish that data. Mm-hmm. Now again, every buck's gonna be a little bit different, but I think us as hunters would find that super fascinating. Based off the areas that the buck used the most, how does the buck sign look in that area? You know, mm-hmm. is there a lack of buck sign, or is there a overabundance of buck sign in that general area?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, very very interesting. And see stuff.
0: An- another thing about this, I wonder how many other bucks they had collared on this on this property and how, especially of similar age class, and seeing how they overlapped or stayed apart from each other on a property like this. Because it makes you wonder, like based off some of the the bucks that we'd seen in the Auburn study, some bucks would use a certain portion of like a piece of public, and then another buck would use a different portion of the piece of public, and they would like get close to each other, but they would never like cross paths. Yeah. Uh, Like on that specific, you know, parcel. And it makes you wonder, especially like on this area, like is there another, you know, mature buck you know where this buck's bedding a lot of times like on the western side of these little ridges if there's another buck that's betting on the east side predominantly mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. that's like his kind of territory and size or the uh side of the property that he really likes and kind of you know stays a little bit further over there
1: yeah yeah I don't know that that would be uh that would be really interesting to see all, all the linear travel is like super interesting to me though uh but I think what I what I was I was talking to some people in the comment section about this. And, uh, I, I was just saying, you know, we had a lot of people chiming in with all kinds of different opinions on it. And, and I think my conclusion from this is like, this is the perfect example of why, uh, focusing on just really fresh sign, I feel like is important mm. for us, uh, for where we hunt, because I think that's how, if you were hunting this deer and you didn't have like this GPS data to look at, like, that's how you're going to find him and get on him, you know? Cause if you went out here and you started trying to look for beds, you'd find beds. Mm-hmm. You, you'd probably find some of his beds, but you'd probably find a lot of dough beds. You'd probably find beds from other bucks. And this just, again, underscores the absolute just randomness of of how they can... I mean, just the amount of thick cover that he has available to him. You know, he's not limited to where he has to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I don't know how this property is even hunted, but, I mean, I think that does make a difference, but... I don't I don't know of very many areas that get hunted so hard. Well, if it's on super high pressure public, there's only so many places he can bed.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I'm like, show me the place in Alabama where that's the case. Uh but I'm talking specifically deep south. I'm talking like Nashville and South basically. Mm-hmm. Um I, I just I don't feel like that's the case in a lot of areas. Yeah, yeah. No, and, I, and that's I agree. and that's why I I love seeing stuff like this because I think it just again underscores the uniqueness of where we hunt. Mm-hmm uh and how they're not limited with bedding at all whatsoever uh and so that's why it's better to go out and focus on that really fresh sign uh or even historical sign you know if you're hunting in the rut so anyways uh any other
0: thoughts on this um i mean the the other thing is i would say this i would want to see like i'm always interested like we we're just looking at one individual buck but it's like you know you could collar a hundred bucks and they all do something completely different. And you might could find one out of a hundred that does what people assume a mature buck should be doing. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So like there's always outlying factors. I mean, if, if you again if you collar enough deer, at some point you're probably gonna find what you're looking for, which isn't the way to kind of go about, you know, with scientific data. You're trying to get all the all the resources, all the data points, and you're trying to make a conclusion like in a general statement, not just over individual bucks. Yeah. But I think, you know, your statement's pretty correct, especially down here. It's like there's so much vastness of, you know, covered habitat types uh, and diversity that, like, they aren't specifically having to hone in on a hand, just even a handful of beds, like five Mm -hmm. or, you know, five or six, eight beds. Like, you know, there's so much area that they can go and feel safe and comfortable at. They if, If they only had, you know again it looks a little bit different because you hear guys like in, in the upper midwest talk about like you know a, a you know very specific deer may use a very specific bed during a very specific time of the year um and again i think that day that can happen and maybe in the southeast maybe you find a buck on a pattern or he might use a bed once or twice that week or something like that yeah but it's like we know guys who have put trail cameras on a buck bed before and had a image or two of a buck and then not seen for two or three weeks yeah and it's like, yeah, he was there. He uses it, but it's not on a consistent enough pattern where you might be able to go in there and kill him out yeah. of that bed.
1: When you think turkey calls... Think of Houndstooth. Houndstooth Game Calls is a company based right here in Alabama, actually based out of Tuscaloosa, and they have been making some of our favorite turkey calls since 2012. Y'all head on over to their website, see what they got. They got a little something for everybody. They have a huge selection of different mouth calls, different cuts, different read configuration. I like to go on there and get five or six different mouth calls and just run them, see which ones I like the most. You know, some days I might like the KB hen, some days I might like the ghost cut. Some situations I might like the country girl call you know that i can cut on really hard where on other situations i might like the all pro that i can get a little bit softer on bottom line there's something for everybody and something for every situation and hey you can get 15 percent off of your order at houndstooth game calls by using the promo code sop24 that's sop24 use that promo code it'll get you a discount and it helps out the podcast
0: i'm alex rodriguez
1: and i'm jason kelly from bloomberg this is the deal Each week, you'll hear us
0: in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't
1: want to do another stomp you out speech. It
0: opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal.
1: Listen to the deal.
0: Listen to the deal on Spotify. True Lock Chokes has been made in Georgia since 1981 and offer you a wide range of chokes, over 2,000 different chokes for all kinds of shooting activities. You might be wondering why you'd want to purchase a lock choke, and it's to improve your shotgun performance, absolutely guaranteed. And as a great example, we have Andrew Maxwell here. And uh, Andrew, you've had some pretty good luck, again, kind of switching out chokes and trying out the Precision Hunter choke from Lock. So, Andrew, what's been your experience so far?
1: Yeah, I've, always, I've used the same choke for several years now. and never really thought much of it, and I got the True Lock choke in. I patterned my gun with the first choke at... Uh, 30 and 50, and then I switched to the True Lock and changed from 30 to 50. And the 50 yard pattern on my gun with the True Lock choke is unbelievable. Like everybody's jaws were dropping. Like when I, we were out there with Mike and Sam, we were all super impressed. I mean, it's throwing a better pattern at fifty now than it was throwing at 40 before my old choke.
0: And Andrew, you're shooting the Precision Hunter choke from True Lock. It's a great option. Same chokes I have in my shotgun. So guys if you want to give True Lock a shot this spring, you can head over to Truelockchokes.com. That's T-R-U-L-O-C-K chokes.com. You can also use the promo code southern at checkout at True and save 10% on your order. Again, give True Lock a shot this spring especially if you're not happy with the performance of your shotgun and shoot with a more deadly pattern with true lock.
1: We had a listener actually comment uh, on the post about that, and he said, I think he was in Georgia, and he said pretty much what you just said. They they went and found the beds, big, wore out, nice-looking beds, threw cameras on them, maybe got a picture of a buck, got a picture of some does, and then, like, nothing after that, where they just kind of quit using it. And I've had the same experience. I mean, I've put cameras on beds before, Mm -hmm. like, because – I mean, I, like I said, I went down the whole bed hunting rabbit hole hard for like four years. And every time I put a camera on like a like a big, nice bed, like there was one a couple years back. We've talked about it in the past on the show a good bit where it was a basically a cutover area, uh, pretty thick, pretty nasty. Uh, but they essentially cut down through the bottom. Uh, So there was no SMZ. So, like, the bottom was thick. It was like a valley was cut. It's Mm -hmm. a really unique spot. And there was a little draw going down into it that was thick. And where that draw went up and met the mature timber up top, it was sapling thick, and there was a, a big fallen log, like, bigger than this table, like, bigger, like, width than this table, big, giant fallen log that was all rotten, and there was briars growing up over it, and there was a bed tucked up against it that, like, smelled like deer, it... Had hair all in it. It was worn down to the dirt, and I put a camera on it. And over the course of like two months, this is like an early season uh, camera when mm-hmm. I found it. Over the course of two two or so months, I had like one rack buck use it, who wasn't even it wasn't like a great buck or anything, but a rack buck used it. A spike used it, and like two does used it. Mm-hmm. And then the leaves dropped, and nothing used it mm-hmm. for like a month and a half. And then I went and got the camera. Uh, so that was one of the things that kind of opened my eyes to like, you know, just cause it's a big giant worn out bed. Doesn't mean that one deer is coming back to that bed. You know, it could be multiple deer and that, in that case, it was at least four different deer mm-hmm. use that same exact bed. And, uh, and then once the leaves drop, nothing used it yeah. after that. So that was just kind of an interesting case study, you know, that, uh, that I saw like on, on my own camera. Um, but anyways, all right, let's get to some Q and A's.
0: All right, awesome. Appreciate everybody been submitting Q and A's. I know we say this every single week, but uh, this has been a super fun segment we've been doing now for multiple months where down in the show notes below on this podcast, so if you're listening on audio feed or if you're on YouTube watching this, you can go down below and actually click the link for listener Q and A. You can write in your questions and we like to answer them on these uh, outro episodes. Um, so it's super fun and uh, really engaging because some of you guys, well, a lot of you guys have some really good questions. Yep. Um, and it's kind of interesting getting some of y'all's feedback on, you know, things that you guys want to be, you know, either see or heard discuss or get like a very specific topic, uh, answered for you. So yeah, it's been very fascinating. Yeah. And
1: asking stuff for past guests, we got a Q and a coming up maybe in the next episode, uh, or two episodes from now that specifically pertains to something that Shane Parker talked about. So we're going to reach out to Shane and get some input from him on that. So, you know, if you want clarification from a guest, you can write in with that, you know, whatever you got, you know, write in those Q and a's. So, uh, also this is from, uh, the first up, Uh, This is Chase Turnbow. He says, What's up, guys? I just want to start by saying y'all are absolutely killing it in the podcast game. I've heard so many people talk about thermal hubs lately. While I understand what they are and somewhat of how they work, U-shaped and V-shaped, could you guys maybe go over how to approach hunting them? I'm talking time of day, positioning in the hub. Should I wait till 30 minutes before dark? How do you play the wind slash winds in these hubs and anything else you guys could think of? Thanks for catering a podcast for us Southern folk and keep doing what y'all do. Appreciate it, Chase. Uh, I think we're probably going to have different opinions on this. Uh, I always say that outside of clear cuts um, and uh, power lines or gas lines, like right-of-ways, mm-hmm. I feel like more bucks get killed on in bowls or thermal hubs yeah. and probably anything else in the South. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's something that... And without even people young. knowing the term thermal
0: hug. Yes. 100%. Just, it's like you grew up it was a ball. It's a ball, that's what we called it, it was a ball. Everybody and their mother would call it a bowl, at least in our area of the country. Like, um, they, oh yeah, Look, so it's like yeah, and that's like typically or like just getting down to the SMZs. That's where m- so many people, whether they're bow hunting, they're gun hunting, that's where people go mm-hmm. just naturally. Like again, yes. that's how my uncles would teach us to go hunting. Like go, go yeah. sit you sit yourself in a bowl and you're kill when you're in the rut.
1: I mean, there's a there's a one in particular that we grew up hunting. When I started hunting with the George family, mm. so Ben George and and his son Colton, who's one of my best friends. Uh, I started hunting with them when I was like about 14 or so, uh, 14 or 15. Um, and when they started taking me, they had this one spot and it was called the bowl. That's what they called it. Okay. And the Georges have a wall full of bucks from that bowl. Okay. And here's what, here was their tactic. Bowl meaning thermal. Thermal, It's a thermal hub. And looking back at that same spot, it's a thermal hub that has a saddle dropping right into it. Mm -hmm. But you know. It was just a bowl, you know, and and Mister Benny discovered it in like the eighties, and how they hunted it is, Thanksgiving would come around, gun season, you got a long weekend, they'd go in there, sit morning and evening for like four days in a row and kill a buck, yeah, all the time, every year, uh, and so and they've killed a bunch of nice bucks in that spot over the years. Don't care about the wind, don't care about anything, mm-hmm. they're just, they're going to hunt the bowl, you know, yeah. and uh, and that's how a lot of people grew up hunting down here, and it it worked for them, uh, so. I don't know. Bulls can be really tricky because just because of the wind currents.
0: Well, how would they go? Let me ask you, because I personally haven't had a lot of success hunting thermal hubs or hunting bulls. Yeah. Uh, I've killed my first, uh, my first public land deer, uh, which was a bow buck killed in a thermal hub, mm-hmm. um, on, on a piece of public. Um, outside of that, I'm trying, I'm literally trying to think when have I killed a deer in a thermal hub or a buck specifically? And I, I, I don't know. I'm kind of going, I don't, I don't know. I'd have to think really long and hard to try to get one. Mm-hmm. But, like, guys like that and guys like my uncles, too, that, like, grew up doing that, you know, did, did Ben George, was it like a set stand? where they hunting off the ground? Like we
1: had, When I was hunting it with them, we went in and we built a ground blind. We got, like, the camo netting and we built, like, a little ground blind on the ground and sat on a bucket. And that's how we hunted it. But he would bring a climber in there and climb on it, too. But-
0: was it where in addition to the hub was it? Was it like down off one of the points? Was it down the bottom? Was it higher up on one of the ridges?
1: If, uh, all right, I love to use my hand as an example for mm-hmm. stuff because everyone's got a hand. Well, Not everybody. Uh, most thus, people. That was terrible, man. You got some <laughs> amputee listening to the podcast. All right. So if you put your hand up in the air and your the palm of your hand is the thermal hub and your fingers are all the little drainages mm-hmm. leading down into the thermal hub, we would walk up the forearm and we would sit like. Right here, like at the base of your thumb, basically. Mm-hmm. So that's how they would access it, and that's how they hunted it. So they were like looking up into the hub from so you, the bottom.
0: So sitting towards the bottom of the hub where it yes. goes out to the main side of the creek. Yes. And then kind of looking up where all those points are dropping but, down.
1: Yes. And and really, it, there was nothing that strategic about it other than just sitting where you could shoot the almost the whole thing because we're rifle hunting. Mm-hmm. Uh, he, they would occasionally bow hunt it, but it was mostly rifle. Right. We were rifle hunters. you know. But like That's how we grew up. We'd squirrel hunt. October would come around. Bow season would open, and we would just squirrel hunt yeah. until gun season Back came Back then,
0: in. deer season, it opened until November 19th or whatever, because there was no such thing as Yeah, there was bow no hunting. such thing as bow hunting. Yeah.
1: Um, and then, uh, so anyways, um, that, that was really all there was to it. Just get where you can see the most of, of this bowl and and hunt it and hunt it and stay in there and that goes back to what i've been i guess talking about more recently this season kind of going back to my roots on stuff of like a lot of times a spot just needs time Mm -hmm. and i think the the older i get the more i go back to that uh sometimes you just got to give a spot a chance to produce for you you know just because you go there one time and it doesn't produce you know if it's a good enough spot and it's the right time of year like sometimes it just needs three or four sits Mm -hmm. and uh and that's how they would hunt that. And one time in particular, me and Colton, we were probably 16 at the time. It was uh, it was Thanksgiving weekend. We had a long weekend. We were off school. It was like Thanksgiving break. And me and Colton hunted in there just for like five days in a row uh, for our whole Thanksgiving break that year. And the fifth day, which was Colton's birthday, he shot a buck at like 8.30 in there. Nice buck. He's got it mounted in his house right now. Mm-hmm. Big, nice eight point. Um, and it, it just came walking through. It came down out of that saddle, dropping into the hub at like 830 in the morning. It Really cold morning. I remember because I was sitting off somewhere else and I, I didn't, I was wearing all my dad's old camo, like cheap, you know, ripped up, mm-hmm. like just wearing some crappy gloves. And I remember I like couldn't hardly move my fingers to call Colton when I heard him shoot. Cause I was like, I was trying to type his number in the phone and I like couldn't, couldn't get it. Cause my fingers were so cold. But uh, but yeah, that's my experience hunting hubs, man, and all that to say that um, I think that how you're you're saying that like you've hardly ever killed anything in a in a hub. Mm-hmm. Do you do you put really consistent effort into hunting hubs? No, I don't here? at all. No, no. So is, is that probably? Not, yeah,
0: that's what, exactly why. Because like, I mean, if you hunt it more, it's like you're of course you're gonna have more opportunities or more experience kind of hunting those areas, and it's like. Most of the time I get in one of those hubs, mostly because like the whole wind swirling. It almost seems like every time I try to get a hub, it's too windy. And it's just the winds kick mm-hmm. in all different directions. So you got to get like real high up on the ridge, like on one of the fingers. And then when you get high enough up, you can't really see down into it. Yeah. So you can see like across, like one side of the hub to the other side of the hub. But you can't, if something's down below you, like you're not going to see it, but the wind's consistent. But that's why I'm curious, like with them, I'm guessing y'all never cared about the wind. No. Like, going to that spot. No. I never
1: even considered the wind until I was, like, in college. (laughs) And
0: just sat down in there. But it makes me wonder, like, the times when they had success, how often was it a quote-unquote bad wind blowing up into that hub? Mm -hmm. Since y'all were hunting, like, the bottom side of it Mm -hmm. versus, you know, the wind actually being good or light and variable, like a cold, crisp morning with falling thermals. And, like, the deer never had a chance to smell you when they came off one side and Mm try to cross through it. Yeah.
1: I don't know. Uh, I think the morning that Colton shot that buck, if I remember right, I don't think it was windy. And so it was so cold, it was probably just falling thermals Mm -hmm. um, because uh, it probably – he was probably coming through about the time the thermals switched in that area. Because we squirrel hunted the same place, and we would go up into the bowl to squirrel hunt, and, again, just, like, doing stuff totally, like, wrong, Mm quote-unquote, from, like, a deer hunter's perspective – we would we would know knowing that we we're gonna hunt this place hard in gun season. We would go in there in squirrel season and just blast squirrels in that place for a month before gun season came in, and then immediately switch out the the twenty gauge or the twenty two for a deer rifle and go hunt the same spot. Yeah. And when you were going in there to squirrel hunt, a lot of times the squirrels really wouldn't on those really cold mornings the squirrels really wouldn't start moving until the sun was like really hitting the tops of the trees. So you'd be sitting there and it's daylight. It's, it's way past shooting light, but maybe the sun is just barely hitting the tops of the trees. Like when you look way up mm-hmm. and after the sun was like really starting to warm up the canopies and hitting the tops of the trees, then the squirrels would start moving. And I feel like a lot of times that's when the deer were starting to move too. And I think that's about the time that thermal switch was happening. Looking back at it now, knowing what I know now, I think that's what was going on there is that First of all, I think it was warming up the squirrels and they wanted to get out. But from the deer perspective, I think maybe it's like that thermal switch going on, kind of gets them on their feet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. Do you, do you have any advice for, for th- uh, thermal hub
0: hunting? I mean, Being that you never hunt them? No, because like Bo, when Bo Martonic interviewed me on his podcast, he asked me about them. I'm like, dude, I just don't have a lot of success in them. So I don't have a whole bunch of things. Like I try to hunt them. Like I tried to hunt one this past weekend or this mm-hmm. past week, but um, it was kind of the opposite. The wind was blowing up from the bottom of the hub, going up to where it all splayed out. So I was sitting on one finger and there's bucks on in there, but just, you know, nothing, nothing happened that morning. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's something I definitely want to try to implement more just cause there's so many good bowls or thermal hubs in a lot of the areas that we hunt. Yeah. Um, but I think like if it was me going to one of those spots, I would have to, the, to feel confident getting down in one of those hubs because y'all were still hunting pretty low elevation. It wasn't like y'all were still getting higher. Like when you're talking about like, you know, sitting on your thumb, yeah. It wasn't like you were getting like 3 quarters of the way up the ridge, like you were probably at the bottom third of the ridge or something like that. It's
1: also pretty gentle. So it wasn't a big. It was, yeah, it was, it's not like a giant steep hub. It's, it's like a
0: U-shaped hub. Kind of yeah. like kind of you know kind of like, you know, big kind of, you know, drainage going bowl, up, bowl yeah. like yeah. Um but my thing is to feel confident in one of those spots. it would have to be a pretty low wind uh velocity. So even if it does swirl, as long as I can see 65 70 80 yards in one of those spots, if a deer gets within that area i should have a shot opportunity especially if it's a buck if it blows the doe out, you know okay it is what it is um but like we'll hear on next week's episode when i sh- I, I just i shot a buck uh on monday like a couple days ago yeah um and the wind swirled right when he came in he was 40 yards from me mm-hmm. and i never th- I looking back at it i have a different thought now on swirling winds because i think sometimes you might think the wind's swirling and it is you drop milkweed but it's only going out 20, 30 yards and it's kicking back. Yeah. It's not just like constantly going for like 150 yards the opposite direction mm-hmm. because it 100% blew right at that deer and he didn't. He kind of looked up and then he started coming right towards me. And it was after a rattling sequence. Um, and I just don't think my wind ever made it to him. I think it swirled out behind this big beech tree I was sitting on and then at some point it started kicking back again and never mm-hmm. made it to that deer. So it gives me, after having that experience, it gives me even a little bit more confidence hunting in one of those hubs, if yeah. there is some swirling wind, because mm-hmm. if it's swirling for you, it's swirling for the deer too. And unless he gets right there on top of you, or if, like, for whatever reason, that wind truly carries your scent quite a distance, you know, yeah. outside of visual distance, there's probably, I don't know, like I, I now have less confidence they're going to smell you in those kind of conditions, especially if you're sitting on the ground. Now, if you're up in a tree and it's lofting up and it's carrying over the top of, you know, some of the ridge points, I think it's, there's a little more damage. But if mm-hmm. you sit on the ground, I think you can get away a lot more in the swirling winds.
1: Yeah, I agree for sure on the sitting on the ground part. And that's probably had to do a lot with the success of that spot. And mm-hmm. also, another thing about that bowl is uh, it had good ground cover in it. So, like, going up the back side of the bowl when you're kind of going up the big hill, because this is at the base of a pretty big mountain, uh when you started going up, it was like sparkleberry mm-hmm. and like muscadine vines and, and thick stuff, and they would come cutting around the bottom side of that, or they'd come right down out of it. You just hear them coming from a long ways off, and then and then they would just materialize out of that thick stuff.
0: Well, uh, yeah. So as they materialize, the next thing you hear is, <laughs> <laughs> and to be like, well, someone killed one down the bowl, man.
1: <laughs> yeah, that was a that was a good spot. That was a definitely a good spot. So hey, yeah.
0: By the way, Thomas has texted me when the big bucks is chasing. Um, oh, cameras right now, and our cameras are lit, lighting up right now too.
1: I figured they would. Man, we got we ought to talk about that, Golly. Uh, oh, We got so much to talk about. We'll talk about that on next week's outdoor. Don't mm-hmm. let me forget. Okay. That we got to talk about those scrapes. Um, but anyways, uh, yeah. I, I, to wrap up the thermal hub thing is, I don't know. It's it's tough oh. sometimes if it's the right time of year because the thing about like again just using the bowl as an example where mm-hmm. we hunted with Colton is it it was kind of the perfect storm because it was opening week of gun season or that thanksgiving break was like kind of peak pre-rut for this area like the deer are rutting pretty good that first week of december so late late november around thanksgiving like that's when your rattling is going to work i killed a buck rattling that week Mm -hmm. uh and not in that on that property but just right down the road one time uh that's when you know your younger bucks are out kind of starting to seek and kind of starting to harass does and so I think that just putting the time into that spot worked. And, you know, if the wind swirled and you got busted, you got busted. But it, at the end of the day, it was the right time. It was the right spot. And so you just kind of had to go in there and go for
0: it. I think another factor, and this is kind of going back to like interviews where we've talked to people that's had success in thermal hubs. I think one important factor based off the other people we've talked to is like having good cover. Like there's got to be a reason for those deer to go through that that hub or go through that bowl. I think yeah. we should start using the bowl term instead of thermal hub because everybody else uses thermal hub and like we should just change it up. yeah we're doing both that's <laughs> that's
1: a southern term baby um
0: bringing it but bringing like, it in. I, I feel like you need to have like if if there was a bunch of thermal hubs the one i would pick over another one is having good thick cover across the ridge points yeah um whether like you're in you know pine country and it's like been select cut pines on top of the ridge points or even like a clear cut but also having um or it could be mixed hardwoods as long as it's like a little higher stem count but also having some cover like you mentioned in the thermal hub like where it's yeah. not just wide open, but like you have, whether it's like switch cane, uh, growing up, sparkleberry, berry, um, you know, it could be, you know, if you had like Chinese privet, which you don't want that on a property, but if you had some there, you know, something like that that adds are like holly bushes, something that adds some kind of cover down in that thermal hub. So as the deer go through it, they don't feel like they're completely exposed and it's probably mm-hmm. a better chance you're going to find scrapes and stuff with a situation like that.
1: Yeah, for sure. Uh, all right. This, this one, the name he wrote in with is Tick Saban. That's pretty good. Old tick saving writing in. Uh, I wonder if that's his real name. <laughs> so he said, I'm starting to try and get more knowledge into reading topo maps. Have y'all ever thought about doing an in depth webinar on how to read a topo map? Uh, we do have some videos on our YouTube currently where we do map breakdowns. We have several of those. Uh, I'll try and link those in the description of this so you can go check them out. But if you go to our YouTube channel and just start scrolling back through videos, there are several where we kind of go in depth on some topo stuff and we have some stuff in the works, you know, that we're going to hopefully have done in the relative near future. Mm -hmm. Um, that, that relates to that, that, that y'all are going to be able to look at. That's going to be very in depth. So, uh, yeah, you got anything to Mm -mm. add to that? Nope. All right. Last up. Anonymous says got a buck coming to a field 30 minutes before dark. He comes out in the middle of the field with doe family groups on each side behind his Behind his bedding is a creek, roughly 100, 200 yards from the creek. My question is, how would you access this? Can't walk through the field, so I'd have to go through the woods, but I'm worried about bumping does and not, and spooking him. Uh, would it be best to walk in on the other side of the creek and then cross right where I want to climb, like a J-hook, maybe try to go in midday or super early and wait him out? Uh, and then he wrote in again and said, just an update on the field slash creek access I sent last week. I went back Friday and glassed the field, ended up seeing seven bucks, four of which were good bucks. Two were definitely shooters. I went in early Saturday evening and sat through hordes of skeeters and sweat just to have a dog run two smaller bucks by me. As it got closer to dark, seven or eight does waded across the creek right behind me and came up 20 yards from me. The lead doe could tell something was up. They never spooked but went right back the way they came. Never saw the bucks, but I have a clearer clearer idea about where they are betting now. I was planning on waiting for a little colder weather to weather to go back in. But what would you do? I uh, did not spook any deer, but I thought it may need to rest for a little while. What do you think?
0: Uh, Number one is if you think that they're bedding across the creek. Now, he now he kind of said a couple different things. So, yeah, it sounds like he did J hook in there and set up on one side of the creek and the deer came from, uh, you know, one side of the creek, crossed the creek uh, towards the field. So if he's assuming that the deer are bedded, like all of them are on the other side of the creek, Mm -hmm. I'd be trying to identify creek crossings going in there. Um, I mean, you might have to do it at night, like two hours after dark when the deer are all in the field Mm -hmm. with a flashlight and look for where those big tracks are crossing the creek. Yeah. And then like try to identify which crossing like the bucks are specifically using and setting up down down creek from it, downstream for it. So like, the thermals are going to blow down the creek, uh, but also having a good crosswind where that bucks, you know, he's coming out. He's got a good crosswind for him, but you're just far enough down the, far enough down the creek um, that they can't smell you, especially if he's talking bow hunting. Um, yeah and I, I guess it sounds like that that field probably isn't his property. It's probably like a neighbor's property. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would definitely like uh, if it was me and you had that situation, I'd try to figure out what crossing those bucks are using and you're gonna have to do it a couple different times a day either you need to go in you know midday and be very stealthy and have a really good wind blowing out towards the field. Um, in order to like look for those crossings or you might have to go in, you know, two, three hours after dark, you know, with a flashlight and just work up and down the creek and try to find that crossing where all those big bucks are crossing at.
1: Yeah. I, I yeah, I pretty much agree with all that. The good thing is the creek, like you said, is a really good medium for tracks. So he's gonna potentially be able to go and find tracks in there and figure out exactly where everybody's coming from. Mm-hmm. Uh so yeah. And and the J hook thing, I like the J hook thing. Also with the creek crossing stuff I don't know what the creek looks like, but a big plus would be like, especially like, let's say it's Saturday. Okay. And you're going to go hunt this deer and you think you can kill him on an afternoon hunt and you just like really want to go in there and set up on this thing. Uh, one thing that I like to do in situations like that is, and I've had success with this in the past is putting on knee boots or hip waders, like whatever you got to do and getting in the creek, you know, ideally if the creek is, you know, hopefully not very deep and you got sandbars and stuff you can kind of walk on, uh, you know, just throw your knee boots on, go walking up that creek and just pay attention to those crossings and find a crossing and actually walk in the creek and not on the bank because one, you're way quieter in most cases doing that, uh, but also... You know, depending on how high the banks are, you're lower, so you're actually visually hidden as well, and it's just like really good access. And at the same time, you're you're checking for those crossings that you're talking about, yeah. And uh, and trying to get in that way. So just, I I really like doing. Just
0: that. Just be very cautious if there's a lot of like river rock in that creek, a lot of round rock and everything. If it's not submerged by water and you step on that crap, it is extremely loud.
1: Oh, and there's no hiding like. You know, that's an alarming sound. It's, like,
0: louder than walking on gravel. So just try to stay in the water, or if you have to step on some of that rock, like in the small river rock that's the size of, like, you know, two, three inches in diameter or smaller, do go very, very slowly through that because it will make a lot of crunching and cracking and popping and stuff, um, which will definitely alert to, you know, something to walk through the creek. And, you know, may spook some deer, may not, but definitely it will be a good access point. Especially Mm. if you're looking for those crossings, like, definitely – walk in that creek if you can. Now, if the creek's too deep, you're just going to have to pick the side, of course, the side that's on the field side and walk it. But, you know, also, this would be a fantastic opportunity to go implement. If you have some cell cameras, take some cell cameras in there and identify what are some of the best creek crossings that you found that has big tracks on it and put a camera. Don't put it right on the creek I mean, don't put it, like, five yards off the trail. You know, back it up just a little bit to be able to look at that creek crossing and try to see if you can get a visual of when those bucks are actually coming through. Um, And Mm -hmm. then also, it sounds like there's a lot of deer in that area. So there's probably a very good chance you go hunt that, you're going to have to hopefully have quite a few deer get past you before that mature buck comes out. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just got a lot of eyes, a lot of ears, a lot of noses that you got to deal with. But it sounds like a a pretty cool opportunity, though.
1: Yeah, and also where you said that you saw some, like, some deer kind of busted you, kind of not. Uh, and whether or not you should go back in or wait for cooler weather. I don't know what the property sets up like, but like what we're going through right now in our club, you found a bunch of feeds on opening weekend of bow season. And since then, Mike, who we're trying to get Mike his first deer, Mike is my stepfather, uh, he's went in and hunted it, I think, three times now, Mm -hmm. two or three times, and he's seen deer two of the three times. And we were talking about it, and I keep telling him, I'm like, just keep going in there because he's getting in and out really clean. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, if you can keep walking in the creek, he's doing what I what I talk okay. about. He's throwing on some knee boots or some waders and he's walking in the creek to get in there. I'm like, I personally, if because he's just trying to kill a deer, I would I would keep walking in there and hunting it as much as I can as long as you got really clean access. Because you don't know when whatever food source they're eating is going to dry up or their bedding is going to shift, similar to what I talked about earlier where the leaf drop happened and that bed quit being used. So like stuff changes and I, I know he wrote this in a while back so probably stuff has already changed uh but that's just my two cents is like if you've got a pattern and they're being consistent i wouldn't wait for them to stop being consistent i would go in there yeah you know because odds are if you wait till it's cold they're probably gonna be doing something else when it's cold yeah you know
0: and, and the good thing is you know say you screw up and you bust one of those bucks right now you still probably have some time before the rut the does aren't going to leave anywhere like they're definitely going to key in on something like, maybe the tree they bust you out of but, you know, say you mess up early season like this time of the year, if the rut doesn't happen for a few more weeks for you, you still have a good chance to catch one of those bucks coming through there and checking some of those does. And that's when y'all would push maybe a little bit closer towards some of that bedding on the other side of the creek.
1: For sure. All right. We got reviews on Apple Podcasts that we're going to read. Appreciate all the new reviews that we've been getting. Uh, we're going to read three of them. Uh, first one is from uh, CG Howell 3. He said, uh, subject is mountain hunting, five stars. And he just said, love the mountain hunting content. So I appreciate that. I'll let you take uh, this one here, old school wisdom.
0: All right, so this is from Doctor J, the vet, titled "Old School Wisdom." Five stars. Do yourself a favor and listen to episode five ten. Pastor Rick shares old school wisdom that squares what that that squares with what my old sneaky mentors taught me, plus a lot more. Deer do not have mystical powers, and you do not need to spend thousands on the latest gadgets to be successful. Full of priceless tips and entertaining to boot. This podcast is always good, but this one stands out. Keep it up, keep it up, guys. Pick a spot. Nice.
1: Appreciate that. That's a that's a great one. Uh, and he's right. You don't need thousand dollars worth of gear to go shoot some deer, man. You just need a little bit of woodsmanship, which they don't sell. Uh, all right. This is from the Duke Five Thirty Nine. This podcast is what you're... This is the podcast you're looking for. Five stars. Uh, Full of info, this podcast will give you the knowledge to become a better hunter. Last year was my first year hunting. Uh, Don't know anything. Didn't know anything. And harvested an appropriate number of deer. And in parentheses, he put none. (laughs) So... Uh, He said, now I'm scouting feed trees, playing the wind, and saddle hunting. I took my first deer ever this evening on public land with my bow. Wouldn't have happened without the info I learned here. Thanks. Congrats. I hope you wrote in a listener's success story with that deer uh, because we want to see it and we want to share it. So appreciate it. Congrats on the deer. Uh, we'll save these other two reviews for the next outro.
0: Sweet. Awesome. So. Appreciate it, guys. Well, appreciate everybody who been listening to the podcast, sharing the podcast. Again, y'all have been fantastic on sharing the show. Uh, also, appreciate everybody has been watching the podcast on YouTube. Again, all these episodes, guys, are on YouTube. And, again, I highly recommend uh, watching them because you kind of you do get a different kind of feel for the episodes uh, when you're actually able to watch the guests. And also, you get to see me and Andrew get a little more excited. <laughs> sometimes you can hear our excitement, but you don't get to physically see it. And sometimes we get a little rowdy on the video podcast so uh, especially like Corey Brown I was over here like gawking like oh my god like, <laughs> okay we, we get the connection here um,
1: yeah I cut in a couple of the, the scenes where Corey was talking and we were like doing this yeah, yeah I I, I, uh, I cut in a couple of those so the listeners could see yeah, it Yeah,
0: <laughs> pretty entertaining but appreciate y'all been listening uh, and watching the show but also appreciate again everybody has been buying uh, Southern Outdoorsman hats and shirts again we've got quite a few left but we get some uh, more orders come in so again if you're on the fence about ordering some hats or shirts Definitely get your orders in. We're trying to ship them ASAP out to you guys and just appreciate that support. But guys... Hope y'all have enjoyed this episode. Hope y'all are having a great deer season. Again, we are very, very busy in deer season. I know you guys are too. If you have success, make sure you write in your listener success story. Click the link down in the show notes below on the show description of this video podcast, and there will be a link there for your listener success stories uh, because we're excited to see all those. Y'all are killing some absolute hammers. So appreciate y'all listening, appreciate y'all watching, and we'll catch y'all back here on the next episode from the Southern Outdoors and podcast. And remember, y'all stay Southern.
1: Look, last summer, y'all heard us talk a bunch about the Mobile Hunters Expo. It was an incredible event. A bunch of you guys came out to meet us. We got to talk to, I don't even know how many listeners. If you heard all that last year and you were like, dang, that sounded cool, I should have went to that. Here's your chance. You need to make it to this one. It's June 28th through June 30th in Dalton, Georgia, all right? Giving you a heads up here, so go ahead and mark it on your calendar. June 28th through June 30th, Dalton, Georgia, is going to be the 2024 Mobile Hunters Expo. We're going to be there. A bunch of our past podcast guests are going to be there. There's going to be seminars. All of the mobile hunting companies are going to be there for you to try out gear before you buy it. It's like the one event of the year where all of the... The, like the mobile hunter ecosystem just kind of congregates in one place. And Chris and Josh and the guys have done an absolutely phenomenal job putting this thing together over the last couple years. And it keeps getting better every year. So, like I said, make sure you come see us. We're gonna have a gigantic stack of free stickers to give away to every listener that stops by the booth. And we're gonna have merch there to purchase. We're gonna be recording podcasts, shooting videos all kinds of stuff so like I said don't miss it you can head on over to the mobile com to look at show schedules and dates and go ahead and grab your tickets so y'all go check it out at the mobile